Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the well here at STSA, where we are in part, there we go, we are in part four of a series called Pulse Check, but before I get into today's topic, I want to share a story with you about how my life changed. I want to share a story about a day that my life was changed for the better, and my life has never been the same ever since, but I want to warn you before I get into the details of the story, be prepared to be very underwhelmed by my story. Be prepared for a very ordinary, like most people, it's like my life changed on this day. It's something dramatic or something big. And I'm going to tell you about a very ordinary experience that I had, but my life hasn't been the same ever since. The year was 1997. A young father, Anthony, when in his third year at college, I went to University of Virginia down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And this is the summer between my junior year and my senior year. And during that time, you've heard me tell this before, is that even though it's hard to imagine because of who I am today, the spiritual giant that I am today, but at that time, I wasn't very close to God. I wasn't close to the church. I was in the church in body, but that's only in body, not in mind or in spirit. Because back when we were kids, okay, we didn't have a choice to be in the body or not in the body in the church, okay? If you weren't in the church, you were going to get a beat down some way from the parents. So we were for it. We went to church, and I say this kind of jokingly, but I also say it in terms of parents. Okay, sometimes forcing your kids to go to church isn't the worst thing, okay, because it teaches them the habit, but anyway, that's a different topic. I was in church and body, but not really in spirit, and I was enjoying my life, but this particular summer, that's when things took a little bit of a turn for the, dip, for the, for the positive, and I started to get close to church. And the reason why, okay, if I take a step back and kind of look at it, the reason I started to come back to church wasn't necessarily the best of reasons, First reason I started to come back to church that summer is because my mom was able to get me a job, an internship with someone from the church. Someone from the church was very successful, had a, like a company that he was pretty high up in, and he's a good church man. My mom's a good church woman. Her son, good church boy, needs a job for the summer, so they made this arrangement. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to work for a guy who's a church guy, so I can't be the guy who skips church, so I got to be in church. So I'm in church much more than I used to be because I'm going to start working for this guy. It just would be a bad look on everybody if I'm not there. Now, the second reason, okay, if you thought the first one was superficial and shallow, you know probably where I'm going to go with the second one. What can be even more shallow and superficial than coming for a job was that when, the, when I was going to meet that guy to kind of work out the details of the job, I met a nice young lady, and I was introduced to her, and I said to myself, wow, she's beautiful. I said, I need to start spending more time at church. <laughs> and what makes this story even worse and more superficial and shallow is that it was on Good Friday when I met her and I had this thought, which is, again, not the ideal way to start your spiritual journey, but I'm honest, okay? This is how my, my, my journey back to God started with money and girls. That's how it started for me, okay? Every priest's typical story, okay? That, that's how we all started. Anyway, so because of these two not-so-great reasons, I started being more involved in church. But I was still, like, I wasn't ready to jump in the deep end of church. Like, I was still kind of state, like, I'm going to be in the kiddie pool section, you know, kind of wade my way in, but I'm not ready to, like, jump in the deep end. So, like, guys are playing basketball. Yeah, that's me. I'm happy to do that. Like, that's cool. Uh, there's, like, a youth meeting where we're going to, you know, talk about whatever, and then we're going to go out for ice cream. Okay. So I'm, like, on, on, on the fringe of being involved in church. And then at some point, one guy, this is my life changed forever, okay, one of these events came up to me. Okay, we were outside hanging out, just socializing after whatever, 
and he said to me, hey, do you want to go to Michigan? And that sentence, that question, changed my life. Now, to give you a little context, it's not that Michigan itself is a holy place or anything like that, but back in the day, for those, maybe if you grew up in this area, you may know this, that back in the day, the church used to take a retreat every year to Michigan, okay, and they would go away for a weekend or whatever it was, and he was basically inviting me to join them for this youth retreat. Now, me personally, like, I'm not a retreat guy, especially at the time. Like, it's, like I'm, I'm, again, I'm the basketball, I'm the ice cream, I'm the fringe guy, but retreat? Like overnight, like, 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 like prayer meetings and Bible studies and like hugging trees and kumbaya. Like, I don't know what's going to happen at these retreats. Like I had only been to, again, full disclosure right here. I'm not proud of what I'm saying, but the truth. I'd only been to in my life one retreat prior to this, one overnight church retreat. And it was when I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school and there was like a Catholic overnight thing. And the only reason why I went is because I was invited by a girl. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you see that there's a trend right here. But with this guy with the Michigan, it was a boy asking me. So I had no reason, compelling reason to actually go. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is going to be weird. And I don't know anybody. And my first thought was, my mom must have paid him money. to Like, my mom must have got to this guy to get, to convince him. But for some reason, I don't know why. To this day, I don't know why. I said, yes. I said, I will go. And that retreat became the turning point in my life. Not because what happened at the retreat. But what happened at the retreat, I'll take a long story, make it very, very, very short here. When I was at that retreat, one of the speakers at the retreat was a bishop, a Coptic bishop who was from Africa doing missionary work. And I had never talked to a bishop before, interacted with them. I didn't know where they, I thought they came from heaven. Like, I didn't know anything about them, but I'm listening to him and I'm like, wow, like I, I get what he's saying. Like this makes sense. He speaks good English and he's like very relatable and he's making jokes. And I'm like, I like jokes and I like relatable. So I'm like, and somehow he ended the story by saying that there was a group of people who had just served on a mission trip and they were sharing their experience. And he ended by saying, there's another group who's gonna come for a mission trip experience the following summer. And he said, anyone who wants to come. And I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no, like, I, I look back on it, I don't know what in a million years would make me want to even do this. First of all, I'm an introvert. So an introvert, the thought of going on a trip and spending five weeks with a group of 20 people who I don't know any of them, like this is the opposite of what I think of how to enjoy your summer. And the other thing was, not only is it gonna be uncomfortable, it's gonna be difficult, but again, something else you gotta know about me is I am uh, what is it? fiscally conservative, okay, with my funds. I'm fiscally conservative. So now you're asking me to spend 2,000, I'm cheap is what I'm saying, okay? You're asking me to spend $2,000 to be very uncomfortable for five weeks of the last summer of my life. Okay, because that was going to be the summer after my senior year before I start working. I'll never have another summer again. Everything said I shouldn't go. But for some reason, I said yes. And I remember leaving that retreat saying, I'm going on that trip. I don't know a single person who's going to be on that trip. I don't know any of the details, but I'm going on that trip. And I don't know why I said it. Bottom line, when I went on that trip, that's truly where my life changed. Because that's where I spent five weeks in the mission. And that's where I connected with people for the first time at a spiritual level. That's where, like I always say, that's where I learned how to pray. Before I had heard prayers, that's where I learned how to pray. That's where I learned how the Bible, how to hear God's voice in the Bible. That's where I learned everything that is ever good in my life came initially from that trip. And here's what I want to say. Follow me on this one. I wouldn't have gotten all that if I didn't go on that trip to Michigan. And I wouldn't have gone on that trip to Michigan unless one guy walked across the parking lot on a Saturday night and said, hey, you want to come with us to Michigan? And my life hadn't been the same ever since. 
And here, let's go even further. If I have ever done anything good in my life, if there's anything in you that says, you know what, I'm thankful that Father Anthony is who he is, like he helped me in some way, then I'm saying that you and the benefit in your life wouldn't be here without me, and I wouldn't be here without that guy who walked across the parking lot and just said, hey, you want to go to Michigan? And you're thinking to yourself, who is this guy? Is he like the greatest missionary? Is he like St. Paul's like nephew, like great, great, great nephew or something like that? Does he come from a royal lineage? Is this guy a preacher? Does he know everything there's know about theology and church history? And I'm telling you, the great thing about this is this guy to this day doesn't know this story. I probably had two conversations with this guy since the year 1997, since this took place. And that guy changed my life. Subject today that we're going to talk about is one of the most important parts of being a member of the church and specifically here at STSA. It's one of the core differentiators that makes us who we are. If you've been, if you've been tuning in the last four weeks okay, with this series, as Larry said earlier, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a healthy member of the church? What are the things, the healthy habits that we need to say like the, based on the vital signs? And these are the things that make us healthy members of God's family. In the beginning, we talked about community and being part of a life group because there's no such thing as a member of the church who does his own thing. If we're a member of this body, we're part of a community, we're here to invest in others, we open up our lives for others to invest in us. If this is not part of your life, there's something missing. Being part of the church means we invest in community. Life group is how we practice that. Second week, we talked about regular time with God. Our goal is not just to connect with each other, but our goal is ultimately to connect with God. So every single day, I need to have a little bit of alone time. We even talked about just 12 minutes a day can be enough to help us connect with God, deepen my relationship, because I can't deepen my love and my knowledge of someone that I don't spend time with. It's just simple common sense. Last week, we talked about being not just consumers. We talked about volunteering, and we are not just here to consume, consume, consume. This isn't like a Best Buy or a Starbucks or a store that we go, what can I get? What can I have? I want the coffee. Give me entertainment. Okay, give me a whatever. Give me, it's not gimme, gimme, gimme. It's here. Roll up my sleeves. I'm here to contribute to the house of God, actively volunteering. But what we're going to talk about today, those three things that we talked about the last few weeks, you go to any church. And you will hear those things emphasize the importance of your quiet time, of community, of volunteering and serving in some capacity. But what I'm going to talk about today sets us as STSA apart from every other church. Doesn't set us apart from every other church, I don't mean it that way, but I'm saying that this is the core of who we are. If you're a member of STSA, we're going to talk today about the thing that makes us who we are. And this is where you have to differentiate, say, I don't go to STSA because it's a nice church. I don't go to STSA because it's close to my house. I don't go to STSA because my kids like it. I'm part of the mission of STSA, and there's nothing that defines and describes our mission more than today's habit, which is inviting at least one person to church per year. That's the expectation. That's the challenge. Members of STSA, our goal is that at least once a year, at least once a year, to go outside of our comfort zone, to walk across the parking lot if necessary, and invite someone to come to church. Now, as soon as I say invite someone to come to church, okay, for some of us, the bells are ringing on the inside, the warning signs, ding, 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 don't do it, okay, alarms, okay, is pushy, intolerant, uh, you know, uh, in your face, all this stuff, we don't do that. Hold your horses right here, okay? Let's talk about, basically, it, the problem is the word evangelism, is what it comes down to evangelism has gotten a bad reputation in recent years and what i discovered is everybody has a bad taste with the word evangelism on both sides of it 
So for us on the inside, we say to ourselves, I don't like to do that because I don't like to be pushy. I don't like to be intrusive. I don't want to offend anyone. So I don't like evangelism. And then on the other side, we're like, we hate when people try to evangelize us because it's just too salesy and too markety and too whatever it is. So both sides hear the word evangelism. We're like, we don't like that. We don't do that. That's not us. We're not preachers. That's not us. What I'm saying is maybe you have the wrong definition of evangelism. Maybe you've defined it or you've allowed others to define it for you. But if we go biblically, what does evangelism mean? Like, does evangelism mean, remember that guy when we were in college, okay, who stands at the corner with the crazy hair, thought he was John the Baptist, and is like, the end is coming, repent, okay? Some of us, we think that, we're like, I don't want to be that guy. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy either. I don't know who wants to be that guy. Like, they're very, that's a very select group of people who want to be that guy. But that's not evangelism. Evangelism, the Greek word evangelism that we get in the Bible means simply sharing good news. An evangelist is someone who has good news and simply shares it with others. You know who's a good example of evangelism? My wife. My wife, her favorite place on the planet, of course, church is number one. Probably hanging out with me is number two. Number three, easily, Costco. Easily, easily. Like my wife, if she is tired and she's not feeling good, she's like, I gotta go shopping. And I'm like, no, sweetheart, you're tired. And she's like, no, I need to go. And she goes, she comes back and she's got some pep in her step. Like a trip to Costco is enough to revive her spirit in ways I've never seen in my life. So now when she's feeling not feeling good, go to Costco. Send mom to Costco. But I discovered why. It's because my wife, the greatest thing in her life, other than of course her family, her kids, God, like classify, put all those things over there. Saving money, getting a good deal. There's nothing that she, and I'm telling you, this just happened just two days ago. This happens every time she goes to Costco. Here's a standard conversation when she comes home. I say, why'd you buy so much stuff? Her response, guess how much I paid. And I'm saying, okay, I understand. You say, and I say, but do we even need this? And her response, but it only costs this. And my response is, what are we going to do with it? And she say, but we saved so much money on this. And I, I'm like, I can't, I can't afford to save this much money. I can't afford it. That's evangelism. That's look here what I found. Okay, and you're sitting there laughing. Right, but you're the same way. I go visit people in their homes. And I say, oh, it's a nice house. Oh, you need a good realtor? I got a great realtor. I got a guy who really help you out. And then someone say, this addition, I got a great handyman. Like we love, we love to find something good and share it with the whole wide world. Well, what I'm saying is that's evangelism. That's not pushy. That's not intolerant. That's a good thing. Like if you found a good deal on the shoes or you save money on the toilet paper, like that's a good thing that you share that with others. Well, what I'm saying is what if we found something even better? Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Let's get some biblical examples of evangelism. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the angel announcing the birth of Christ. Good news, great joy. And to the people, the shepherds, when they heard this, be like, that's very uh, uh, pushy of you. Stop, stop being pushy. Like, were the people offended? How dare you tell me about this good news? They were like, tell me where. Tell me more. There's a Savior born. Like, this is good news. This isn't something that's offensive or pushy. Jesus himself, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass that afterward that he, meaning Jesus, went through every city, every village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. This isn't pushy. This isn't intrusive. 
This isn't salesy. This is, guys, I found something great and it's available for every single person. Like if we didn't share it, if we held it to ourselves, that's what to me was offensive. It's offensive if you, if you see me spending, you know, I don't know how much milk costs, okay? You know, $1.50 for milk when you could be spending only a dollar and a quarter for milk. That's offensive that you didn't tell me. That's, that's what's rude. And that's what to me is, is, it makes us bad people. But if I say I discovered something good, I want to share with the whole wide world. We do it for groceries. We do it for our handymen. We do it for, for realtors. We do it when we find a new pair of shoes that's on sale. Why wouldn't we do it for the most important thing? Now your response is, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. And then even better, you've said this before. Trust me, we've all said this. I preach by my actions. You've said that before, right? Preach by my actions. Preach the gospel at all times and only speak if necessary. We've all heard that. That sounds very nice, sounds very spiritual, but I'm telling you, that's kind of a cop-out. Because there are times that you need to speak and preach with not just your actions, but with your words. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you come to visit me in my house. You come to my house and you can't find parking on my street, so you park up up top, like across the way, and you have to walk down this hill to get to my house. And because you don't know how to get there, I say, okay, I'll come meet you at the top of the hill. And I walk up that hill to come to you, meet you at your car, and as I'm walking up the hill, I notice there's a big pile of poop right there. Some dog pooped right there. And I make a mental note, there's poop right there, and I walk over this way. And then as I'm walking back on the other way, I don't mention anything to you. As soon as we get near the poop, I curve to the left. And you're walking right next to me on my right, and you just walk straight in the poop. I led by example. I preached with my actions. You should have followed my lead. I didn't, I didn't want to be pushy. I didn't want to offend you. I didn't want to get in your personal space. So I let you walk in the poop. It is hard for me to say that I love somebody and I watch them walk in poop and I don't say nothing. It's hard for me to say I love someone if I watch them walk in poop. Well, I'm telling you this. Stick with me my analogy here. Life without church is walking in poop. Life without church is living in poop. Many people think church and what's church and what's church, but remember Okay, and I know that some people abuse the word church, and I know that church causes problems, and there's wars, and like in history, and I, I, I get that. But, that, but that, that, that's an abuse of church. That's a distortion of the reality of church. Remember how we started this series. We talked about what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ. We said it is the greatest honor that we have been given to be part of the body of Christ. Let me give you some verses that we talked about from the very beginning. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's what it means that you're a part of the church. Members of the household of God. Ephesians 1 verse 22. He put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When we gather here together, we are not just joining ourselves and our friends in a social club. We are part of him who fills all in all, is here in our midst, and the church is the fullness of him who can't be contained by heaven and earth. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 talks about the price Jesus paid for the church. It says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, which among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He purchased with his own blood. The price tag of the church is the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The most precious entity on the planet is one drop of his blood. And that's what paid for this. Church is not something small. I'm going to say something, you may disagree, but I believe this with all my heart. And if you don't agree, like I'm not trying to tell you my, to believe what I believe, but I'm just telling you what I believe. 
I believe the church is the answer to every problem in this world. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the church, and I'm saying specifically, the church that has been given to us, has been passed down for 2,000 years, is the answer to all of life's problems. You say, come on, Father Anthony, so you, that's a big statement. So if everybody just come to church, solve all the problems? Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Every problem in this world, I'll tell you where my, my, my statement comes from. Every problem in this world comes from where? What is the source of every problem in this world? When God created the world, there was no problems. There was no problems until the fall of mankind. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell. Before the fall, there was no problems, there was no sickness, there was no corruption, there was no injustice, there, there was no lying, there was no stealing, there was no bad. And then all these things happened after the fall. Well, let's go back to the fall and see what changed. Let's see a picture before the fall and after the fall, and let's see you know, what's different between this picture and this picture. Before the fall, God and man walked hand in hand. God and man had fellowship. God and man were united. After the fall, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. After man fell, the Lord God sent him out. Hold that thought. Sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So again, he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Picture before, picture after. The picture before looked like what? God and man united connected, fellowship, touching each other, communion, sorry, union with one another. Picture after, God and man, separate. Man was cut off. And just like if I take a flower and I cut that flower off from the sun, it's just a matter of time before the flower is going to wither and die. That's humanity. Once humanity was cut off from God, was separated from God, humanity start to wither, start to die. What's the solution? What's the solution for the flower that's cut off from the sun? What's the solution to the fish that's cut off from the water? What's the solution for the human being that's cut off from the air? The solution is communion. Because of all the problems stem from man's separation from God, by logic, all solutions result from man's communion with God. Logic. The problems happen because man and God fell out of communion. Well, God didn't fall, like man fell out of communion with God. The solution only happens. The solution to all the bad in the world only happens when man and God are in communion with one another. That's everything that we do in the church is for the sake of communion. That's what we're driving towards. That's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we come to church. It all is for the point to unite us, to be communing in union with God. And I'm telling you, I promise you, I'm not overstating this. That's the solution to every problem in the world, is communion with God. And that's exactly what we have here in the church. I know we have lots of uh, medical professionals here, okay? So if someone out there, let's say you're a medical professional and you're doing research and doing all that stuff and you discover the cure for cancer, you discover the cure for cancer, I don't know how many people, let's say millions of people die from cancer. I don't know what the number is, but everyone knows someone who died from cancer, suffered from cancer, and you discovered it in your basement, in your little laboratory, in your little bat cave down there, you discover the cure for cancer. And you decide to keep it to yourself. And you say, I'm just going to hold on to this one. I'm going to file this one away. What should happen to you? 
the rest of us, what should we do to this person? We should kill them, okay? First we should get the cure and then we kill them, okay? They should be killed. They should at least be tortured in prison for many years. They should be suffering. If you have the answer to end misery and suffering and death for so many people, man, that's a crime to hold on to that and not share it. We have a solution for something much worse than cancer. You know that. We have a solution for something much worse. We have a solution for all the brokenness in this world. We have a solution for all the injustice and the corruption in this world. We have a solution to every problem that exists. Solution is right here. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying the solution is here. And shame on us if we don't share it. Shame on us. Shame on us. That's why St. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, look, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, I don't get an award for preaching. I don't get an award if I, if I stumble upon the cure for cancer and I share it. I don't get an award for that. I'm not the one who discovered it. I'm just the one who shared what has been shared with me. You know, sometimes people ask me, they say, you know, Father Anthony, why do you get so animated when you talk? Because I know sometimes I work myself up in a little bit of a frenzy here, okay? You should see me. Like, you don't understand. Sometimes I come home from church, I could wring the sweat out of my shirt underneath here. How's that for a beautiful picture? Who wants a hug after church now? Okay? <laughs> but I know. I get myself kind of worked up right here. Why, why you do that? And the truth of the matter is, just being very honest, the truth is, I don't know how to do anything otherwise. Because as I shared in the beginning, I've been on both sides. I've tasted both sides of the, of, of the equation. I've been on the without God and without church, do it on your own. And I've been on the I'm all in. And this is the core of my life. I've been on both sides. And there is no comparison. There is no comparison. I've been here. I've tasted this way. I've tried to make it work. It doesn't work. No matter how much you try, it's living in poop. Life on your own, life without God, life without the church is living on a daily basis in poop. And sometimes you can move the poop around to look in a nice way this way, and you can present this way, and you can brush the poop from this part of your hair and this part of the hair, but in the end, you're living, you're eating, you're sleeping in poop. And then I've been on the other side, where I found someone who said, you don't need to live in that poop. And actually, I want to connect you to a body, a family, that can help you navigate the various poop landmines in this world. And I said, this is great. This is the best thing ever, and this is free, and this is welcome all. This is, this is no, 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 no criteria, no requirements. All come one, come all. And you tell me how, like telling me don't get excited about it is like telling someone who survived cancer, don't make a big deal out of it, okay? Just get piped out. Keep it to yourself. You survived cancer, just, yeah, okay, yeah, that's great. Can't be done. I meet people all the time, and so do you, but you may not even, may not look at it this way. I meet people all the time, and I see this very clearly. I see very clearly disconnected from God, living in poop, solution to all their problems, connect with God, connect with his family. And I see it very clearly. And the worst is when I see someone who doesn't see it and they think everything else is the problem except this. For example, I see people in their marriage. I see marriages dying slowly. I see marriages withering away. I see marriages that I just see them crumbling. And I hear things like, oh, you know, it's because she, uh, he, she talks too much. Or, you know, he doesn't talk enough. He's not e emotion enough and she's too much with this. Or the problem is the kids or the problem is the busy or the problem is this is my favorite. We're married too young, married too young. Our parents all got married at like age 12 and 13. So now we're married too young. I hear this and I'm like, guys, this is nonsense. You know the solution? It's because you're disconnected from God. That's the answer. You're disconnected from God 
And you can play all these games, and you can read all the books, but as long as you're disconnected from God, you got no hope. Disconnected from God means living in poop the rest of your life. I see people drowning, drowning, trying to keep up. I don't want to say keep up with the Joneses because it's not keep up with the Joneses. It's keep up whatever this, this, this in my mind, this, this achievement, and it's going to be the next achievement. It's going to be the next promotion. It's going to be as soon as I turn this corner, as soon as I reach this state, drowning, losing their relationships, losing their mind, but it's just like, okay, it's just a busy seed and I'm going to get there. And I want to say it's not. It's not. There's no achievement that's going to get you there. I promise you, it's not. Because if it was, you'd have already got it because you've already been more successful than you ever imagined that you would be. It's not. It's connected with God and connected with the eternal family. I see good people all the time. Good people living without purpose. Good people, kind people, nice people. But just kind of living what I want to say is like an empty life. I'm like, your life could be so much more. Your life could be so much more if you were connected to God and connected to his eternal family. Don't tell me to be calm. Don't tell me to be quiet. It's not possible. Because, principle of life, we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. And maybe the problem for some of us isn't our speaking, it's our believing. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. You can't disconnect evangelism from faith. The one who truly believes the gift is great can't keep his mouth shut. It's like, it's like I won the lottery, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to keep it to my... If somebody believed that they won the lottery, are you kidding me? You would share that with the whole wide world. It's like going, saying, uh, you know, will you marry me? And you found the perfect one, and she's the best girl ever. But let's keep it a little secret, just between me and you. Let's not share this with anybody else. When someone finds something good, they want to stand on top of the mountain, and they want to proclaim it. Well, if we believe that what we have here is good, then sharing it becomes easier. In our liturgical prayers, we're reminded of this every time we have a service. What is the final thing? Okay, when we come here and we pray the liturgy together, okay, and we worship and we sing the hymns and we receive communion, okay, and then at the very, 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 very end, the last thing the priest says, what's the last thing the priest says? You know what the last thing the priest says is? The priest says to the congregation, blank in peace. Go in peace. You ever thought about what's go in peace mean? Go in peace. Does it mean like drive home safely? <laughs> Hope you make it home without getting a ticket. It's not that. That word go, like you can read commentaries that will tell you that, that word go that we say is the same go that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, his final words to his disciples after he had spent all day with them and all of his life with them, he says go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go and preach the gospel to every, every creature on this earth. That word go is not just go and try to be safe. It's take what you got, go out those doors and receive a fire and go light the world on fire with what you've received. I read a nice commentary from a writer named Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, who's an Orthodox uh, Metropolitan. He says this about that go. And he, the, 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 he sets it up by saying, does go mean just go home and arrive safely? And he says, no. It is not that. It means this. You have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. You have seen the glory of God. You have been on the road to Damascus. You have faced the living God. You have been in the upper chamber. You have been here and there in Galilee and Judea, all the mysterious places where one meets God. 
Go now. And if truly you have discovered joy, how can you not give it to others? Go now. And if truly you have discovered joy, how can you not give it, give, discover joy? How can you not give joy to others? If truly you have come near to truth, how can you keep it for yourself? If truly something has been kindled in you, which is life, are you going to allow anyone not to have a spark of life? It does not mean go around and tell everyone specifically religious things or use clerical phrases, meaning don't just say Christianese. What he's saying is it means you should go into the world, which is yours, with a radiance, with a joy, with an intensity that will make everyone look at you and say, he has something he hadn't before. Is it truly God has come near? He has something he had never had before, which I do not possess. Joy, life, certainty, new courage, new daring, new vision. Where can I get it? That's supposed to be us. That's supposed to be us. We're supposed to leave here. People are supposed to see us and say, hey, you don't look the same way you looked before. Like, I see you on Monday morning, not the way you were on Friday. Friday, you were a miserable person. Friday, you were angry at the world. Friday, you hated everybody. Monday, you came back all love and all nice and all trusting. Like, what? what happened over the weekend? And can I come? That's supposed to be us. People are supposed to see the light in us and say, I want what you have. <clears throat> so yes, we preach with our actions. But at a certain point in time, the action needs to translate into a word, into a spoken, into an invite. I heard it said one, one time nicely, we, the world needs today audiovisual Christians. It needs audiovisual Christians. We need to walk the walk and we need to talk the talk. We need not to do one or the other. Either one without the other doesn't work. It needs both. And if you're saying to yourself, okay, Father Anthony, I'm in. I want to do this. But this sounds hard. Well, let me tell you, there's only one thing. I promise you, one thing. If you embrace what I'm about to put up here on this screen, one thing that if you are willing to embrace this, this way of life of all of Christianity is based on this one principle. If you're willing to embrace this, you will be the best missionary. You will be the best evangelist on the planet. Ready for what it is? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Last year, I'll tell you a story about being uncomfortable. Last year, my daughter, Lizzie, started a new school. Okay, she's in 10th grade this year, so last year was 9th grade. She started a new school. And this new school, okay, it's great. It's, like a, it's a private school. And the parents are like a tight-knit group, okay? And there are all these social events. Between me and you, I hate these things, okay? I do not care about any of these things. Like, I got enough on my plate. I don't need more social events, things like that. But my wife, okay, oh, this is for Lizzie's sake. We can't be the weirdo parents. Like, already, I'm the guy dressed like the weirdo. And I'm like the last guy in pickup line. Like, I come in there at like, you know, 3.31. And it's supposed to be like I'm late. And I turn the corner 100 miles an hour to get my daughter. So already, we're like on the outside. We don't volunteer or anything like that. So my wife's like, we have to go to these things. We have to go to these things. So I'm fine. I go to these things. There was an event on a Saturday night from 7 to 10 p.m. And it was like in someone's backyard. It was like a, you know, get to know you, whatever. And it was gonna be all the parents and there's this thing. I hate everything about this event. I hated everything about the thought of this event. First of all, it's on a Saturday night. Saturday nights for a priest is not a good night for an event from 7 to 10 p.m. Like, you know what Saturday night is for a priest? You know that, that, that you had that big presentation at work and you were going to stand in front of hundreds of people and make that presentation that like for three weeks prior to that, you wouldn't do anything social because you were preparing for that presentation? That's every Saturday night for us. That's every Saturday night. On top of that, we're tired. And we got, so I hate doing anything on Saturday night. 
Second, this event, I'm not saying this in a, please don't take this in an offensive kind of way. This was a wine and cheese event. We are not wine and cheese people. We are more like chicken wings and fudgesicle kind of people. But they said there's going to be the, you know, whatever. And I don't know any of these names. This is not my kind of a thing, kind of an event. And then lastly, there's going to be 500 people there that I don't know any of them. And I know for some of you, okay, I'm an introvert, okay? So again, we're all different. God made us different. That's beautiful. But just so you understand how an introvert, if you are not an introvert, you look at 500 people, you're an extrovert, you're like, oh, this is great. You know, this is going to be fantastic. You know, 500 new friends. They, they just don't know they're my friends yet. So this is great. But the way us normal people, I mean introverts, the way we look at it, this is very stress-inducing. I'm going to walk into an event of 500 people. I don't know anyone. And what made it worse? My lovely wife, as I'm driving over there, because I was in church, and I'm finishing confessions, like I'm taking confessions, helping people find salvation for their souls, and I'm rushing it to get to this wine and cheese thing. And my wife sends me a text, and I'm driving over there. Says, sorry, running a little late. <laughs> running a little late? I was going to say, okay, I'm running a little bit late too myself. And I had everything inside me said, I'm going to turn around, I'm not going to go to this thing by myself. But I didn't. I went. You know why? Not for my wife's sake. Not for my daughter's sake. Love them both, but wouldn't make me do that. <laughs> I felt God wanted me to go. I felt God wanted me to go, and I didn't know why. But I felt God wanted me to go as an opportunity to witness to him. I don't even know who's there. I don't know what I'm going to find. But I felt God telling me, no, I want you to go. Not for Lizzie, not for Marianne, because I want you to go. So I went. As soon as I entered, remember when we were middle school? And the dances in middle school when you walked in? Okay, how awkward it was. That was me walking into this event. So I'm by myself. Everyone has their you know, Chardonnay or their, you know, whatever it may be in their brie. I think we were even fasting at the time. We couldn't even have the cheese, okay? <laughs> Just like miserable event. And everyone's got their thing and everyone's talking and everyone's socializing. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? And it's like, like, I just felt so awkward. Believe me, in front of God. There was a point where I honestly thought about faking a heart attack just to get out of that place. <laughs> Honest. Tell the truth. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. Some poor, some nice couple saw this poor schmuck and they came and they gave me a pity conversation. You know the pity conversation of like, nice to meet you, what are you? It's like, and it's very clear, like, we don't want to talk to you. We just like, we feel really bad for you because you're all by yourself here. And we like, today is very nice. And that I had that pity conversation and I built up a little confidence that, okay, you know what? God wants me here. This is uncomfortable, but God wants me here. Let me do something. And I saw another couple and they weren't talking to anyone. So I said, you know what? Let me just go for it. And I just went and I said hello and I introduced myself. Long story short. They were in Ethiopia. Well, he, she was Ethiopian, and she was married to a non-Ethiopian, but they were married in an Ethiopian church. I said, Ethiopian Orthodox. I said, oh, Coptic Orthodox. And they said, and I could see the look on their face, they got married in that church. They left the church, hadn't been for many, many years. They started going here and there, everywhere, but not really had a church family. And they left the church, and they didn't know where they were going to go to church. Congratulations, it's your lucky day. I'm a priest. Here's my card. This is our website. Let's have a seat together and let's chat. And I don't know if they're ever going to come to church. I don't know if they're ever going to come to church. But I feel good about one thing. I did my part. I feel good about that. Whether they come or not, I threw the seed. Whether there's fruit, I don't know. 
But I feel like I'm comfortable. I did my part because in the end, evangelism isn't about bringing others to Christ. I know this sounds counterintuitive. It's about bringing Christ to others. Evangelism, our goal is not to bring others to Christ. We are not focused on the result. We are focused on the process. We are focused on the my part. Our calling isn't to take Arlington and say, Arlington, you're going to know Christ whether you like it or not. We're going to find a way and you're going to be part of this church. And we Listen carefully to this. Think about this. Did Christ bring everyone to Christ? No. When Christ left, most of the people didn't believe in him. Most people wanted nothing to do with him. They crucified him on a cross. Christ didn't bring everyone to Christ. But what Christ did is to everyone that he met, he brought Christ because he was He revealed God to every person that he met. He didn't bring every person to God, but he brought God to every person that he met. And I'm saying the same thing. We can't solve people's problems. I said the church is the solution to all the problems. We're not the solution. The church is. We can't solve people's problems. We can't cure the addictions. We can't heal the sicknesses. We can't restore the relationship. We can't do any of that stuff. But what we can do is we can reveal Christ to them and trust that Christ will do it, take, it, take over from there. It's his job. It's his people. It's his mission. It's not mine. I always think of it that our job is to be a lighthouse. You know what a lighthouse is? Okay, a big tower filled with light, open the window. Those are the two criteria to be a Christian. Have to have light on the inside, have to have an open window. If you got an open window, but you got no light on the inside, you're of no value. But if you have the strongest light on the inside, but you close the windows, you're again of no value. We need to be filled with light, filled with the power of God. And we need to open the, the window so that the world can see what's inside of us. I'll give you this nice verse from Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It talked about Jesus. It said, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. I love that last part, where he, meaning Jesus, himself was about to go. Did you know that when you go out those doors, you go into the coffee shop, you go over to the, to the, to the store, you go into work, you go play basketball with the guys, wherever you go, think of it this way. You are being sent by the Lord to every place where he himself is about to go. You are prepared. You're John the Baptist. You're preparing the way. You're revealing the goodness of God and you're giving people a chance for God to work in their life. Like I said, with that couple, I didn't do anything for them, but I threw an invite. I invited them to come and I hope, I don't know who's going to come, but I hope that God worked through that invite and is going to reduce something inside them and maybe the first invite no and then maybe next week they're going to meet someone else who's going to invite them and then maybe somehow they're going to find a sermon here and then maybe their mom is going to tell them this. I don't know, but I know I'm going to do my part and I'm going to give people a chance. I'm going to give God a chance to walk into this person's life and the way we do that is by inviting people to church by simply inviting people to church. The longer you are in church, every statistic will say this, the longer you are in church, the less likely you are to invite someone to join you, which I know seems counterintuitive, but I believe the reason why is simple. The longer you have not lived in the poop, the more you take for granted what life is like outside of it. The more you forget, the more you think it should be common knowledge, the more you feel like, what's wrong with those people? But then if you think back, you used to be one of those people. You used to live in this. And people used to invite you and you're like, ah. And people used to tell you, come and you're like, hey. So the longer we are in church, the less likely we are to invite is no good. We got to turn that one around. We got we, we to we 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 fix that one, SCSA, because we're better than that. We got to be better than that. 
Our mission is too important. Our message is too life, essential to life. Because there's a lot of hurting people out there who have what we need. And I want to leave you with three questions. Three questions to think about, okay? Three questions. Question number one. Do you believe that we have something good here? Do you believe that we have something here in this church that has been good for you, good for your family, good for your life in some way? Do you believe that there's something light inside this church that the world out there in the darkness doesn't have? Do you believe there's something good here? Question number two. Do you know someone who needs that? Do you know someone who is walking without that light? Who is walking alone when they should be walking with community? Do you believe we have something good? Do you believe, do you know someone? Do you interact with someone who you think needs what we have here? And then question number three is the kicker. How uncomfortable are you willing to get in order to help them find it? How uncomfortable are you willing to get to help them find it? Because if we're honest, if we're honest, the reason that we don't speak more, the reason we don't invite more, is not because we think it's pushy. It's not because we think people are going to be offended. I promise you, people are not offended. If you think, don't go with the, with the, with the, the, the mindset that people don't like to talk about spiritual things. If you believe that, I promise you, come spend a day with me. Walk around the city with me. Okay, go to stores with me. And I promise you, everywhere I go, people, are you a priest? Oh, I've always wanted to talk about this. The other day I met someone, are you a priest? These elections or whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people want to find a priest and people want to talk about whatever. Don't fall for that. The truth is, it's not that people don't want to talk. The truth is, if we're honest, we don't want to be uncomfortable. The bottleneck is us, not the people. The bottleneck is not the ears. The bottleneck is the mouths, is the speakers, and that's on us. Because in the end, inviting people to church has nothing to do with numbers, has nothing to do with quotas that we have to like meet whatever, like we have to give reports to the Pope. It's not a matter if we have empty chairs, we just need to fill it. Inviting people to church comes down to love. I can't say I love you and not tell you that you're about to walk in poop. I can't say I love you and then your kids, imagine you gave me your kids to babysit and you came to pick up your kids after spending a day with me and they are covered in poop, head to toe poop. And to be like, what'd you do to my kid? Be like, I led by example. I don't know what that. That's not enough to lead by example. If I give you care of my child, then you make sure that they walk out the day without the poop. And I'm telling you, you can't say I love you to God and watch his children roll around in the poop. Can't. I'm going to leave you with two verses. One very good, one very bad. One very scary, one very encouraging. You choose which one you want to focus on. I'll give you both. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. That's the good one. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's the scary one. Ultimately, inviting people to church comes down to our love for God. Not even our love for people. It comes down to our love for God. It comes down to our desire to gladden his heart. After all he has done for us, how, Lord, can I serve you? How can I make it up to you? And his answer is very simple. Take care of my kids. Help my kids. Invite my kids to church. You've received something good. That's great. I'm happy that you got it. But I want you to share that with someone. And like my friend in the beginning of the story who invited me to Michigan, you never know the results that will come from it. 
Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us here in the church. None of us, Lord, is worthy of what, what we've received and all the good things, Lord. But we pray that you would give us the courage and the willingness to be uncomfortable, to invite others to join us here. Lord, we don't want to go out there and be pushy or be salesy, but Lord, guide us and lead us and open doors for us and give us, like I said, the courage that we would just simply say, hey, you want to come with me to church? And we invite others, Lord, not because of our love for them, but ultimately because of our love for you. We ask these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the power and the glory for